So our listeners are aware, all the personal information in today's episode has been anonymized to protect the person's identity. Hello, I'm Carolina, I'm your host, and this is Focus AF, the podcast where we talk about all things mental health, advocacy, and the health and social care sector. We're joined today by Leanne Barber, one of our advocacy managers at Advocacy Focus. Hi, Leanne. Hi. So we're here today to talk about Mark's story and you're Mark's paid relevant persons representative. So to start us off with, could you explain briefly what this role entails? Yeah. So as you've said, it's a paid relevant persons representative. You will hear me say RPR for short. Um, So just to explain what that is. And essentially, it's being a representative for the person and advocating for them. So let's hear a bit about mark what was the situation before working with advocacy focus yeah so we received a referral for mark who is a 21 year old man who lived in a care home um mark had a diagnosis of a learning disability and he was assessed to lack capacity so he was lacked to uh, have the mental capacity to be able to make his own decisions regarding his care treatment and accommodation The local authority who placed Mark in the care home was responsible for making decisions on his behalf and they applied for what's called a Deprivation of Liberty Safeguards Authorisation and we'll call that DOLS for short so I've explained what that is. And what that means is the local authority are um, making a decision that that is where Mark lives under certain restrictions which we'll also call rules just to make it easier. Two of the main rules that um, are applicable for anybody on a doll's authorisation are that they're under continuous supervision and control of staff. So staff are always aware of their whereabouts, be that in the home or out of the home. And also they're not free to leave and live wherever or with whom they want. So they couldn't just move in with a friend or a family member. Rules apply differently to different people. So rules that were applicable for Mark were specifically locked doors so he wasn't free to leave without staff supervision and the building was also alarmed which meant that any building you know if tried to exit the building he the alarm would go off and staff would be alerted for the vast majority of the day he had one member of staff with him at all times and during the night time there was a member of staff who used to sleep in a sleep room next door to where he his bedroom was when accessing the community mark required two members of staff with him which meant that Short notice events or being spontaneous with your day couldn't really happen for him. He had no autonomy over his day-to-day life. He was uh, supervised when he used the internet and also telephone calls and sort of online gaming was monitored and supervised by staff. And that was due to concerns around who he may come into contact with online. So there was quite a lot of restriction applied to Mark's life. Yeah. Is this standard? Do you see a lot of people under such a level of restriction or is this something that kind of rang alarm bells, if you will, from the get-go? Yeah, like I say, rules are different for different people, but I would say in this instance, Mark was heavily restricted with some of the the rules that were in place for him. They differ from person to person, but yeah, it was high level of restriction really right from the outset. Right, so what did you do to start helping Mark out? So I received the RPR referral, as we discussed, from the local authority. As I say, advocacy in its purest form, this is what it was. So I was advocating for him to ask questions or challenge some of the rules that were in place and also to ask questions and challenge the actual placement of a hold, so where he lives in general. 
Mark did object to the rules that were in place. As we've mentioned, it's high level of restriction. So he did object to most of the rules that were in place, but also wanted to live nearer his dad. And his dad lived about 300 miles away from where he was. So contact between them was very limited. Mark told me that he didn't feel like he had any freedom and that he felt restricted in all aspects of his life from getting up in the morning to going out, spending his day and then retiring at night to, to go to bed. In line with my role, obviously, I informed him of his right to be able to challenge the rules and challenge the placement and that is what he wanted to do. When we talk about challenging dolls authorisations, we have a specialist court that's called the Court of Protection, also known as the COP, and this is where dolls challenges will go to ultimately. So for our listeners that might have listened to our previous episode about the Court of Protection, you will remember what the COP is and some of the decisions that it makes. But if you haven't listened to that episode yet, I'd recommend going back, listening to that, and then coming back here for the rest of Mark's story. But Leanne, I'll let you continue. Thank you. So yes, I was Mark's voice, reminded him of his rights, and put forward his views, his wishes, his feelings, and asked questions on his behalf. One of the things we did right from the outset was a reassessment of Mark's capacity. So when we talked at the beginning around capacity to make specific decisions, we felt that there needed to be an up-to-date assessment to really look at all those issues again and make sure that he does lack capacity for all the decisions that people were making on his behalf. The two main points Mark challenged was the rules around internet and gaming and having telephone calls with other people and also the staff supervision. Working with the local authority regarding those decisions and having capacity reassessed, we were able to make some immediate changes which really enhanced Mark's life. The staff regime was reduced, uh, meaning that he wasn't um, subject to as high intense supervision from staff and meant they could have more free time on his own. The internet access was reinstated. He was on a regime initially of three hours per day, supervised. Once capacity was reassessed, that went to full 24-hour unsupervised access, which is absolutely huge. He was able to freely game. He was able to freely make telephone calls to family, friends, um, teams calls, video calls. And he was also allowed time alone in his bedroom and able to have friends over at his placement, which he'd never had before. So massive improvement in his original when he originally came to work with us. Alongside doing those short changes, we also instructed a solicitor, which we would need for the Court of Protection Challenge, and the solicitor would look at the longer-term placement as a whole. So you talked about some of the changes that were put in place straight away. So what was the process for making those changes happen? Was it a case of speaking to the local authority? Was it directly with the care home staff? How did those changes come about? Kind of both at the same time, really. It's about having a conversation with staff around what we could immediately fix that they could do. And there were some small changes that they could make. But of a longer term decision making um, and making sure you're involving all the right professionals, it is local authority. So it's me going back to the local authority to explain what Mark is objecting to and what he would like to see happen and the local authority for them to explore if that's something that they can do. And in this case, it was something that, that they were able to rectify pretty much straight away. And you talked about the fact that we had to do a new capacity assessment, but obviously as an advocate, we don't do the capacity assessments ourselves. So who in this case did we contact 
and speak to about this reassessment? Yeah, so we, we don't become involved in capacity assessments. What we do is flag it with um, the local authority that we are working with and they will then instruct psychiatrists, doctors that are fully qualified to be able to assess somebody's capacity to make their own decisions. So they will go and contact the relevant professionals and have those assessments completed. Excellent. Because I think sometimes we talk about capacity and it sounds like... Um, I think within the sector, it almost sounds like a very blasé thing. It's like, oh, yeah, the person lacks capacity. Yeah. But I don't think there's sometimes that understanding that th- that there is a process, there yes. is a, you know, a formal assessment mm-hmm. that needs to be conducted by a trained professional. Yeah. So I think it's helpful for our listeners to be able to understand that and also to understand that advocates to maintain our independent sort of role it would be inappropriate for us to be part of a process That's like right. that. I, I think as well, when we talk about capacity assessments, what people sometimes overlook is that's for every single decision. So that's from what time to get up in the morning, what to wear, whether to have your medication at whatever time, what you want to eat. It's 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 in its most basic forms. You, you know, people have capacity or don't around everyday decisions. It's not just these big decisions that we make in our lives. So... Obviously, some fantastic changes were made um, initially and then we sort of left off at the point where you had instructed a solicitor and we were looking at beginning a Section 21A challenge. So as you began this challenge, what actually happens? So you tend to find once you've instructed a solicitor, your role becomes a little bit less intense, I guess, than what it was before you have a solicitor because they're taking the lead. So they're fully qualified in what needs to happen in terms of court processes, next steps, sending in applications to court to get a judge allocated to the case and and bits of background information. So you tend to find your role sort of peters off. You're still obligated to advocate and be the rep exactly the same, but your, your role sort of gets handed over more to the solicitor so they'll come on visits with you to meet the person it's really important that they meet the people that they're supporting preparing statements and your solicitor being a legal person will then liaise often with the local authority solicitor so every local authority will have a legal team and they kind of just liaise with one another and you just sort of get regular updates as as things progress so when all that sort of pre-court process takes place what happens when you actually do go to court yeah so since um covid a lot of the court hearings have been remote which was quite unusual because it's always normally been in person so you will have a series of court hearings um throughout the case this case i think was about 14 months um in total it is actually ongoing but decisions short-term decisions have been made for now um so court cases can last for a long time um judges need lots of assessments completing of of the person needs lots of information from local authorities about what options are available for that person so ultimately in this case mark was quite specific about where he wanted to be and in other people's cases that might not always be the case it could be that there are no options available to that person other than where they are or it could be they have an option of three residential homes or three nursing homes Ultimately, the court is making a decision on what's in the best interests of that person. So even though somebody may want something, it may not be achievable. So the court process just proceeds. You've got a very fixed regime that you're going through. You've got different court hearings. Um, When you have a court hearing, people go away with different actions to do. So we may go away and have a statement to prepare. The local authority may have to go away and look at what placements are available. So everyone's got their own individual role within the court proceedings. 
And within Mark's particular case, was this something that he was quite happy engaging with? Was he quite vocal in terms of what he wanted to be said? Are he cheering? How did you take sort of instruction from him? Yeah, he was very involved in the court process, um, which he wanted to be from the outset. So Mark would attend all the court hearings. Mark would um, speak to the judge directly. Um, before the court hearing and then sometimes after the court hearing and sometimes when me and his solicitor got updates from him he would be keen for us to notify the court so that the judge was aware of his current situation. So in other cases you may not have had the person fully involved in the process, they may not have been as involved as what Mark was but in his case he was heavily involved right the way through. And and I bet that makes a big difference to be able to have that person's voice at the end of the day Mark is the expert of his own life and to be able to have that instruction and coming directly from him and for him to be able to be present in those hearings, speaking to the judge directly, I bet that was really empowering for him as well. Yeah, he felt completely sort of, and he should do, at the centre of that process. He was involved from selecting his solicitor right the way through the court proceedings. So, you, you know, level of engagement can be as much or as little as you want, but there's nothing more important than him feeling at the centre of that process and being able to directly address a judge. You know, you know then the judge is listening to you and there's nothing more important for a person, I don't think, than that. Yeah. So the key decision was about where Mark was going to live. Yeah. Um, so what was the outcome of these hearings? So the outcome was Mark has now successfully moved to live near his dad, which has had a vast improvement on his mental health, his well-being. I think it's just given him ultimately what he's wanted right from the outset. And even though at times through the court process it's been very lengthy and he has been frustrated at the length of time, at the end of it he has got what he wants. He's moved into a new placement. He feels that now he's in a place where the people who he lives with are of a similar um, ability to him. So he feels more able to converse with the residents that he lives with. Um, and that's had a real big improvement. He's now cooking meals for all of them of a night time. He's got a completely different staffing um regime now different people that he's working with and I think he sees it as a fresh start of his chance to sort of uh, really thrive in this new placement he is having much more regular contact with his dad which has been so uplifting for him to have had that contact after all this long time and he's also recently resitting uh, sorry enrolled to um do some of his GCSEs again he wants to be uh, he wants to get an apprenticeship with a local college so everything is going brilliantly well Oh, that's amazing to hear. Yeah. What a good outcome for yeah. him. And obviously you said it's taken a, a little while to, to kind of go through all those court processes, but to be able to finally move and, and you know, he sounds like he's had such an improvement in terms of his, like, social life as yeah. well, which seemed pretty much non-existent before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and pretty much from what you've said, he sounded like he was just, like, that little bit of gaming or that little bit of internet access yeah. to now being able to have people over. Yeah. Um, it just sounds fantastic. Yeah. I think that was the thing is, you know, little small changes throughout um, the beginning of when, when he started to object to some of these rules and things like that the little small changes incremental over a period of time made little bits of difference here and there but obviously the the ultimate was he wanted to live somewhere else so that was just the icing on the cake to be able to do that I guess at the end fantastic so why do you think advocacy support was so effective in Mark's case I think it was advocacy in its most basic form right from the beginning but what 
I want noting is that I think he, as time went on, by challenging through the court process, he just built confidence and was able to self-advocate. Whereas I found at the beginning, it was me advocating on his behalf, like I've said, finding out his views, his wishes, his feelings. By the end, it was almost that he was doing that for himself. So self-advocacy was a huge um, part in, in this case as well and just building his confidence. I was a safeguard for Mark. Um, a lot through the proceedings, even so much as challenging some of these rules and restrictions that were in place. So a huge part of my role, I think, was being that additional safeguard for him, making sure that decisions that people were making on his behalf were decisions that were regularly reviewed and not just, well, he lacks capacity and that's the end of it. So making sure there was regular monitoring of that and making sure decision-making was in line with law. And he had a framework to be able to challenge. I think that's really important as well. Going back to the very basics of advocacy, um, at all times, bearing in mind my advocacy charter, my advocacy principles, it's at the very heart of what we do, making sure people's rights are upheld, which in this case was was huge, and allowing them to have that um, ability and avenue to be able to challenge. Another really um, important point was that making sure any decisions made on behalf of Mark were always made in his best interests. So not in anybody else's best interests or the best interests of this person or that person. He's, he's got to be at the heart of everything and ensuring that least restrictive options are always considered. So instead of always going for the most restrictive for somebody, actually stepping back and thinking, what could we do that's less restrictive, that promotes autonomy, promotes independence and just gives him a better sense of enjoying his life. So it's almost looking at what can the person do rather than focusing on what they can't That's do right. yeah. um and i think you know sometimes we use phrases like best interests and least restrictive options but as you as you explain really what it is is about making sure that if someone else is making a decision that mark can't make for themselves for himself then it's about making sure that decision is going to be right for mark yes not what is easiest for a social worker or a care home worker, not what's going to be cheapest to deliver, yes. but actually what is it that Mark wants. And yes. I think that's really what shines through this case is how person-centred it was, mm. how Mark really was in charge of this process from beginning to end yep. and how he was able to really like be your boss yeah. if you will just tell you what you wanted to see happening and you being able to go away mm -hmm. and try to make that happen yeah. for him yeah I think as well like you say that's a good way to look at it is be his bosses I think at the beginning I was I was um he was my boss and then towards the end he was his own boss and that self-advocacy really shone through that actually I was almost redundant he didn't really need me anymore because he was able to self-advocate and he knew what his rights were and I think that's brilliant so obviously Mark is now living closer to dad um his life seems a lot better he seems to be doing a lot better with his uh, mental health and his well-being but you did mention the proceedings are still ongoing so what's left to do so what's left to do is he's moved into his new placement and I think the judge wants to make sure that everything is in place for us to be able to almost discharge these proceedings and make sure all the necessary referrals have been made. Obviously, he's moved quite a long way, so he needs input from services in that area. So I think the judge wants to make sure that everything is, is done before the proceedings are concluded. We do have some assessments outstanding, which I mentioned before around capacity assessments. It's been quite difficult in terms of that because we've had um, lots of varying assessments, so clarity on the assessments is still required. So I'll remain involved with him until the proceedings conclude. 
my role is going to be very much team support, telephone support, online support, because it's too far for us to travel. Once the court proceedings are concluded, Mark will get a paid relevant representative from the area that he's in. So my role will fall away, but he'll still have that safeguard of a new representative just in a different town. Yeah, so you'll continue to have the RPR in place from whoever the local advocacy provider is to make sure that even though, yes, those changes have been made, if anything changes in Mark's life, if his wishes change, then he has that independent person that can continue to support him to self-advocate or advocate on his behalf. Definitely, yes. So, I mean, this has been a long case for you. Yeah. Um. What, what, two years? 14, 15 months. Yeah, yeah, okay. It's been a long time, but it's been worth it. Yeah. And I know that you received some amazing feedback from Mark. Would you like to share that with us? Yeah, I think um, Mark just feels that his life is is huge and has a lot of thanks for me and his solicitor when we when we speak to him on um, on calls and on Teams chats. And he's often saying how much his life has changed and none of this would have been possible without us. And he actually also mentioned without the judge's input, which was really nice, because often I think the court and the judges don't get, even though they ultimately make the decisions, they don't get any of the credit for it, which was really nice. It has been a hard case. It's been a long um, case and there's been lots of different branches coming off. It's not been straightforward. It's been quite tricky, but it's been a case that I've really enjoyed working on. And I think just the fact that he's gone and he's so happy just makes the job worthwhile. Oh, Leanne, thank you so much for taking the time today to go through this case with us. Thank you. Um, It's been lovely to hear about Mark's story and the amazing, incredible, incredible work that you've done to support him. Um, So thank you so, so much. And for our listeners at home, thank you very much for joining us. I hope you've enjoyed Mark's story. And as always, if you've got any questions, please reach out. If you want to find out more about our charity or contribute to the work that we do, please visit our website at advocacyfocus.org.uk.